uh, be back with you uh, today. I've uh, missed the last couple of Sundays, uh, not been too well. Um, thank you for the cards and the texts uh, inquiring about my health. Um, I, yeah, uh, uh, it's ongoing, I think it's the easiest way to describe it. It's, uh, it looks like I've developed some sort of stomach condition, not quite sure what it is yet. They've, uh, they've done some bloods last week and uh, they got the results back this week. Actually, it was really good news. They said I was normal. <laughs> they obviously don't know me terribly well. Um, uh, first time for everything. Uh, um, so, uh, but thank you for your, your concern and your care. Um, uh, we're moving back into our season of uh, looking and exploring and working through uh, the book of Galatians. Now, if you're, if you're relatively recent in terms of being amongst us in the last couple of months, you may not be aware of this, but we were in a series looking at the book of Galatians quite a few months ago, and with the summer and considering a worship series and various other bits and pieces, we've got a bit distracted, and, uh, but now we're going to dig back into it. And uh, uh, quick sort of reminder of why uh, we're looking at this uh, letter written to this young church uh, in Galatia. Uh, it was written really to try and, uh, by Paul, the Apostle Paul, uh, to try and help them grab hold of what does the grace of God mean and explain something of the grace of God and how this frees us uh, from uh, uh, law and all the things which associate with law, performance and results and success and all that sort of stuff. And so we, we've in, uh, entitled our, our, our series Free or Freed from Religion. And actually it was about getting out of the confines and controls of religion, but actually about living uh, a faith. And uh, you may think we haven't actually got very far so far. Uh, we're only halfway through uh, Galatians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bible with you, you may want to be uh, turning to Galatians chapter 2, where we're going to read from in a moment. And, and the first couple of chapters of Galatians, uh, one of the aspects of uh, uh, this letter from Paul is actually about also uh, bringing a defense of his ministry as, uh, as an apostle. And that's really where we're sort of uh, entering uh, partway through Galatians chapter 2. Paul is explaining how he was accepted by the other apostles. And I think the last time we preached from this, we finished looking at verse 10, where uh, he said, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And just to say, we are a church who are very keen to do just that as well. Uh, to remember the poor, to serve and care for those who are less privileged than ourselves. Uh, be, poor being a very broad definition, not just about financial uh, uh, poverty, but about poor in spirit in all sorts of ways. And so today we're going to move on from there. And uh, uh, we're just going to read uh, uh, five verses, starting at verse 11. So this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Nothing like a bit of certainty, is there? It's fairly unequivocal, that statement. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself uh, from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas 
was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? And we're going to just stop there and consider these four uh, verses this morning. Father, we want to say we are thrilled by your amazing love that you call us children of God, that you welcome us into your family, even though we were alienated from you. And that's just, oh, it's just amazing, Lord. We are so grateful for your love. We're so grateful for your amazing grace over our lives, for the good news of the gospel, which has transformed us. Now we ask, Lord, would you speak to us from your word? Would you help us to hear from your word, Lord? Would you help us to let it take root in our lives and shape us and define us? That you be glorified, Lord. Our greatest desire is that you are glorified in all that we are and all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we have a, a rather interesting account here. You may say, well, hang on, this, this is just... Paul recounting some history. Yeah, but it's a, a really important thing going on. So let's just try and explore this uh, uh, briefly. What's happening with this significant event? Well, fundamentally, it would appear that Cephas or Peter, depending on which uh, translation of the Bible you've got, you may have one or the other, same person, um, who was happily associating with uh, non-Jewish believers, that is, Gentile believers, seems to have been persuaded by a group of people who came along that actually he needs to, that because these Gentiles, these non-Jewish believers weren't behaving in a, in a Jewish way, they hadn't been circumcised and uh, weren't uh, living in that way, that he was to disassociate himself. So Peter basically, uh, who's very much involved with these Gentile people, suddenly draws back basically because there's pressure from a group of other people. These, these, uh, these, these folks have come along and uh, persuaded him, or even coerced him, maybe. We don't quite know what's going on there. We're, we're told one of the reasons is fear. He was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Out of fear, it seems, Peter draws back from these Gentile believers and uh, basically, Paul's addressing this and saying, hey, 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 hang on a moment. You were involved with them. Now you're not. You, you were happily engaged with them. Now you're not. What is going on? He's, he's calling Peter out here. Saying, hey, your, your behavior is, you're, you're leading others astray here as well. He's calling him out and saying, come on, come on. Peter, what's going on? Why are you behaving in this way? And uh, he's bringing a, a, a really good challenge to Peter. Let's not forget, if you go back to Acts 10, Peter knows he's called to minister to Gentiles. If you go back and read Acts 10, you can see his story. So this is something, it's like, he's just denying part of who he is, who he's called to be. And Paul is saying, hey, come on, you need calling out on this. This is not right. This is not right. And uh, can I just make a few 
uh, brief observations, and then we'll get to what I feel is the meat of this passage. It's, uh, it's very easy to, uh, out of fear, respond to circumstances. And we're called to be a people of faith, not of fear. And faith means that we live out obedience to what God's called us to, to what his word uh, says over us or about us and how we're to live, not what others do. And just because a, a, a group from the circumcision group turn up, Peter changes what he's doing. Friends, let's be careful that we're not wrongly shaped, that we're not wrongly molded just because somebody turns up with a, a latest doctrine, a latest comment, or they make us feel afraid or perhaps insecure or uh, uh, they've got a better argument. Let's make sure we live our lives out of faith, out of faith in God. Yeah? So easy to be swayed by the world around us. And it's not just about Christians coming along and coming up with an argument. It can be the world around us. The world's got lots of arguments. Let's be aware, actually. Our faith is rooted in something. It's rooted in the truth. It's rooted in the truth of the gospel. Let's make sure that we stay that way. Within that, I would therefore say, let's be careful where we're fed, what we listen to. Do you know, I was reading an article uh, this week in Christianity magazine, and it was making this very observation that there is so much stuff out there now that you can just, uh, there, there is just so much, because of this wonderful thing called the World Wide Web, there's just so much information out there, but actually a lot of it is erroneous. Let's be discerning. Let's check out. Is this really biblical, what I'm reading? If it isn't, bin it. Check out the person's life that's writing or speaking. What's their life like? Actually, you know, there needs to be integrity. Are they living this stuff out? Can I look at their life and think, I want to follow them because they are imitating Jesus and I want to imitate them just as they imitate Jesus? Or actually... When you start to explore, do you go, oh, I'm not so sure about that. Let's be careful what we listen to, what we read. Let's make sure it's going to actually help us to grow in faith, that it's sound, that it's biblical. If you're somebody who has a responsibility for teaching, it may just be a life group or in a ministry setting, it may be uh, in children's work, can I encourage you, make sure you stay biblical. Don't just think, oh, there's the latest trend, there's the latest women, I'm going to follow that thought, I'm going to develop that. No, let's make sure we're shaped by the word. Actually, we've all got that responsibility. Let's help one another to be people of the word. You know, in society today, can you imagine Paul fitting in? In our amazing society we live in now, which is so, well, just live and let live. Let's embrace everybody's thought. Everybody's, everybody's got their own truth. It's okay. Can you imagine Paul? <laughs> when, Paul came to, uh, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Hmm, okay. 
Because he was clearly in the wrong. Oh, hang on. How, how's that work in our relativistic society today? Is there a thing called wrong? Is, are there absolutes? Oh, I thought everything was subjective now. No, no, he was wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to. It goes on and on. Uh, yeah. So he talks about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. <laughs> Peter, you're being a hypocrite. You did one thing and now you're doing the other. What's going on? But actually, if we know there's real truth, then we also need to be prepared to stand up for it. Let's be a people who are prepared to stand up for the truth, to speak out about the truth of God, the truth of the gospel. However, having said all of those uh, uh, asides, really, I want us to actually focus today for the remainder of our time on verse 14. Well, this is what it says. Uh, this is what it says. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of all of them, and he then brings a challenge. But isn't that an interesting phrase? When I saw they, they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. If you read the Christian Standard Version, it says this, when I saw they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, deviating from it. And I feel God will want to ask us today, how are you doing? How are we each doing? Are you in line with the truth of the gospel? Is your life in line with the truth of the gospel? Are you living your life in line with the truth of the gospel? Do you celebrate and embrace the truth of the gospel? Do you let it shape your life? Can you join in with Paul and go, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm living in line with the truth of the gospel? Or, 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 or have we got deviated by it? Have we got persuaded onto a different route, a different way of living life, a different way of seeing things? Is the gospel really shaping us and molding us? Or are we defining it? Now, of course, actually, obedience to God is a theme of the whole Scriptures. This isn't just uh, a one-off comment which doesn't fit anywhere else. If you think about uh, the Great Commission Jesus gives his disciples in Matthew 28, well, what is it? Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There's truth and obedience. The great themes of the Old Testament, um, 1 Samuel 15, 22, uh, where, where, where God reveals his heart to Samuel by saying, hey, do you want the, is it sacrifices? No, no, no. I'm looking for obedience. God's looking for people of obedience. The themes of obedience uh, run right the way through the Old Testament and New Testament of the Bible. God's looking for people not who are just legalistically obedient, who are sort of catching up and saying, well, I've got to do this, 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 and this, and this order. He's after people whose heart are for him. Whose heart are for him. Say, I want to live a life of obedience. Why? Because out of a relationship, I want to please this God. Because he is my Lord. And I want to, I want to live for him. I want to bring him glory and honor. And that's the type of people the Father's always been looking for. Actually, that's the story of the Old Testament, of the people of God that's called Israel in the Old Testament. That's the story. Actually, it's a story of God revealing himself to a people whose heart he's half, he is after. And yet, actually, we see that mankind 
in our pride, too often goes, you know what, God? I can do this without you. I don't need you for this bit of my life. I'm going to do my own thing. (laughs) It's one of those uh, regular phrases. They did what they wanted to do. Is, is the essence of it in the Old Testament. You see, oh, well, and, the, and it talks about Israel. It says, hey, they went off and did what they wanted to do. They were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. They went and did what they wanted to do, what they saw good in their own minds. And yet Paul sums it up so well here. He captures that, that, those themes. He says, hey, are, you, are we living in the truth of the gospel? How are we doing at it today? Can I ask you to ask that question of yourself? How am I doing? Am I living in the truth of the gospel? Is the gospel shaping my life? Is it determining how I live my life? Or am I deviating away from it? Have I got distracted on this journey? Have I started to embrace other philosophies and thinking? Have I started to uh, allow the world to shape how I see uh, the truth of the gospel? Well, of course... I guess if we're going to ask that question, we need to just remind ourselves of what the gospel is. Now, uh, I'm not expecting you to remember this, but I uh, came up with one of those little um, acrostics for what gospel was many months ago when I was preaching, and hopefully we've got it on the PowerPoint here, and it's all going to come back to us, and you're getting, oh yeah, I remember, gee, gospel, it's about the grace of God. The gospel is about the undeserved love of God, the grace of God. It's about his work, not ours. It's it's all about him. It's about how God reaches out and uh, loves us. And it is driven by, oh, his outrageous, unconditional love. Actually, that is at the heart of the gospel, is God's outrageous, unconditional love. God chose a people. He chose to reveal himself to a people. That's the Old Testament story, the people called Israel. And then in Christ, he chose to reveal himself to all mankind, that all can come and know the love and the grace and the mercy of God, the goodness of God. Not because we're good enough, not because we can persuade him, but because of his outrageous, unconditional love, where he says, I choose to reveal myself to these people. Wow, what a powerful thing that is. And of course, that love is revealed to us by a work of the Spirit. The S is the Spirit of God. And how the Spirit makes us aware of the Father's love, makes us aware of our sinful state before a holy God without Jesus. And how Jesus is sufficient absolutely sufficient to pay for our sin on the cross. That the work of the Spirit who quickens our hearts and draws us to the Father. And when we come into the Father's household, how the Spirit then reminds us that we're sons and daughters of God, that we're given a status in the family of God. We come as joint heirs in Christ before the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. And we're called sons and daughters That's the message of the gospel. It's not just, hey, we're saved, but we're saved into relationship with Almighty God to enjoy a deep, living, real relationship with God. And as part of that, we come to therefore enjoy peace with God. Sin resolved, dealt with once and for all. And we have peace with Almighty God. 
and we can know him calling us by our name. We can call him Daddy, Father. Wow. And then we said, well, everyone needs to know it. Everybody needs to know this gospel because it's life-changing. It is life-transforming. It is the hope for our world. This gospel of truth, this gospel of grace is for everyone. And this gospel calls us, finally, L, to live our lives as living sacrifices for God's glory. And so when we think about gospel, when we think, what is the gospel? This, this is a, just a, a way, you can come up with lots of different acrostics, but uh, it's a way of remembering something of the heart of the gospel. This gospel of truth. So I guess the fundamental question really is, how are you doing with your surrender? Your surrender to the Father? Your surrender to his gospel? Are you enjoying the gospel? Is the gospel shaping your life? Is it, it's the truth of the gospel? Are you living in the truth of the gospel? Or maybe you're trying to work out your salvation in a, in a performance way. Well, if I do this, God will love me. He will not love you one bit more than he already does. You cannot persuade God to love you because he's already chosen to do so. That's the grace of God. Maybe you're trying to think, well, maybe I can earn some more of God's love. No, you can't. You can't earn the love of God. It's totally undeserved. It's totally unconditional. It is outrageous because we shouldn't get to benefit from it. And yet we do. And you can go through each one of these letters thinking, well, I, am, I really, am I really living out the truth of the gospel? Has the gospel really got hold of my life? Is it shaping my life? Let's ask a few questions. Perhaps things which, where our lives could be shaped by the world around us or by shape, be shaped by the truth of the gospel. Of course, you've got this situation here which Paul's dealing with. And yet it's still true today that too often in our society we distinguish between different people. We say, well, they're okay and they're not. We say, well, they're good enough and they're not. But if they jump through these hoops, maybe I'll think they're good enough. Friends, let's be careful when people become Christians. Let's not make them like us. Let's help them to become like God. Yeah, we want to be imitators of Christ. That's great. If we are doing that really well, then, hey, yeah, encourage them to uh, copy you, or at least all the good bits of you. But let's not say, oh, hang on. Well, yeah, you really do need to tidy up your act in this area. Let's not try and make people into, well, if it was me, white middle-class Christians. If you maybe you're from a different nation, don't, don't make them into your nationality. Don't make them into from your culture, whatever your culture is. No, let's help people to embrace what it is to be in Christ. Too easy, isn't it? Well, I want everybody to be like me because I'm perfect. No, you're not. Sorry, bad news. Let's get it over with. You're not. I'm not. You're not. 
We never will be till we reach glory. And that's all about the work of God in us, not about us. Let's not make people jump through hoops. Oh, well, if you're a Christian, you've got to do this. If you're a Christian, you've got to do that. No, if you're a Christian, you want to live to please God. I want to live a life to please God. You know, it'd be so easy for us to uh, uh, always just try and find people who are similar to us or prepared to become similar to us. And yet, actually, the power of the gospel is diversity. This world raves about diversity, but hey, the gospel was there years before. Read Ephesians 3. How the manifest glory of God is revealed in what? His church. In the diversity, in the multifaceted diversity and splendor of the church. That's us. That it, we are diverse. We're made up of lots of nations, lots of backgrounds, lots of cultures. That is an expression of the gospel. What about other ways in which perhaps we may try and uh, uh, allow the world to shape us? Well, it's a gift we... I, I can't not talk about money, can I, I guess? Let's talk about money for a couple of minutes. Well, the world's attitude to money is be in control of your money, make your money work for yourself, make it get what you want, make it uh, uh, accumulate... Get hold of stuff, possessions, whatever. Worship money, worship material, worship possessions, worship experiences which money can buy. Look after it. You can't trust anybody else with it. And the message of the gospel is something completely different. The message of the gospel is this. I get to steward what God has provided me with. I have a responsibility before Almighty God for how I use what God's blessed me with. And none of it's mine, it's all his. You may go, oh yeah, 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 that's nice theory, but you, know, you earn your money. Yeah, but who's given me the ability to earn that money? Who's provided me with my job? Oh, no, no, you, you come on, you've done that. Well, it can be an endless argument, but it's one which needs resolving in our hearts. Because if you think it's about you and your job and your money, then you're always going to be doing battle with God over this. Because it's not your money, it's his. It's his job which he's blessed you with. It's his income flow he's given you. And you're called to be a steward of that money. Really? Is that where you're at? Is the truth of the gospel hitting home about your finances? Let me let you into a secret. I am so grateful for my wife. She challenges me. That's, that's not the secret, sorry. I, I'm very happy to proclaim that. She challenges me and constantly provokes me. We had a discussion about the gift week. And, uh, and what we were feeling God was saying we were to put in this, in this gift week. And... Uh, uh, Emma just challenges me when, when we have a gift week. She always goes, really? Aren't you being a bit stingy? <laughs> and she, she, she grew up in a family where money's made round to go round. That was the ethos of the household. If you think of your coins, it's made round to go round. 
and uh, uh, an incredibly generous family shaped by the gospel. I grew up in a family where money is king and money is worshipped and possessions and security and everything else which money gets you is the thing you've got to hang on to. So we had a conversation this week where I go, oh, I think it should be this. And Emma goes, come on. And for a few days we were in, in dispute about it. And <laughs> God won. <laughs> but he used her in the process. I wonder how you're doing with your stewardship of your finances. It's very easy to think, well, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible, I'm, I'm being responsible, I'm trying to be the responsible head of the household here, God. Surely we've got to hang on to this just in case. No, if God's saying give it away, then give it away, because he'll provide. He is the one who provides all that we have. He will provide all that we need. That is part of his very character and nature. Sure, yes, he gives us a responsibility to use that well, but if he says give, then give. I'll remind you, though, at the same point in time, God loves a cheerful giver, we're told in 2 Corinthians. He loves a cheerful giver. In other words, don't give under pressure. Don't give because I or anybody else in this church says, hey, it's a gift week, we want to clear the mortgage. Come on, let's give. No, give out of obedience. That's the gospel. Give out of obedience. Give in response to what God has given you and how he's spoken to you. Let's move on. What about other things? Well, I guess sexuality. That's a big one in the world today, isn't it? Our sexuality. Well, I get to choose my sexuality. That's the message of the world around us today. I can be this today if I want to. I can be that today if I want to. I can define it. I can't remember how many options there are now on certain social media sites. I think it's more than 50 different choices of your sexuality. What? Why am I to male and female? Why am I to the... The message of the gospel is God made men and made women. That's, that's what God's done. Now, please don't think that if, if you're struggling with your sexuality and trying to work out your sexuality, please don't think that we're saying, hey, you're not welcome. You're incredibly welcome. But let's remind ourselves there's truth in the gospel. What about uh, sexual fulfillment? Well, the truth of the message of the gospel is man and wife in a relationship we call marriage. That is the place, the one and only place for sexual fulfillment. In other words, everything else outside of that, whether that's solo sex or other forms of sexual activity, are wrong. Whether that is heterosexual, homosexual, lesbian, or anything else, that's wrong. It's one man, one woman in a committed relationship we call marriage. That's the truth of the gospel. Is that penetrating your life today? Is that shaping your life today? I tell you what, if you, some people are going to be shocked by, this, by, by me using this word. Apologies, I'm going to shock you. If you're into masturbation, then I want to suggest the challenge to you is this. You haven't yet let the gospel hit home. Because that is outside of one man, one woman, in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship called marriage. Think about it for a moment. Solo sex is not how God intended us to live. The 
There's so many other things we could go on to talk about. We could talk about power and, uh, and being in control, and the world teaches us we've got to be in control. We could talk about self-worth and significance and where we find our sense of who we are. The gospel wants to speak into all of those things. We could talk about how we raise our kids, how we have a marriage. The gospel has got a message for that. We could talk about the world we're in and uh, Extinction Rebellion. The gospel speaks into that too, about stewardship of the world. Christians, we are so far behind on this one. We need to understand we are called to steward the world. The gospel has a message for us over that. Kids, family, all sorts of different things. Are we living in the truth of the gospel? Are you living in the truth of the gospel? Is it shaping your life? Are you living it out? Is it uh, defining you? Or are you defining it? You say, oh, well, the gospel only, only impacts this part of my life. It only impacts my salvation. What's the gospel going to have? What's the effect of the gospel on your life? Are we living in the truth of the gospel? Or are we perhaps, have we got allowed a lie to get into our lives? Maybe something I've not mentioned today. Here's a dangerous prayer to pray. Do you know prayers, that prayer is a dangerous thing? It's spending time talking with God and it can be such a, a powerful thing because you're encountering almighty God. How about praying, Father, would you reveal to me where I'm not living in the truth of the gospel? In fact, why don't we pray that now? I'd like to invite you to join me. I'm going to pray. I'd like to invite you to pray with me. Don't just do it because I'm doing it, please. If you want to live in the truth of the gospel, then let's ask the Father to reveal to us where that's not the case in our lives today. So often, God, we want to submit ourselves to you. Say, come and have your way, please, Lord. We say, Father, reveal to us, please, to each and every one of us who's praying this prayer with me. Would you reveal to us where we're not living in the truth of your gospel? Father, would you give us grace? Would you wrap us up in that unconditional love of God? Such that we can change. Knowing that it doesn't, it's, it, it doesn't earn us brownie points with you, but that's how you call us to live. Transform us, Lord. Work in our hearts and lives. We want to live lives which bring glory and honor to you. Lives surrendered to the gospel. Lives of integrity to your gospel. So reveal this to us, we ask, Lord, and give us grace and lead us by your spirit that we can walk free of these things where we aren't in surrender to your gospel. In Jesus' name, for your glory, Lord God. Amen. Amen.
In conclusion, I want to finish with a quote. If you're switched on, you may remember that this quote actually appeared at the beginning of, of the update Karen sent out on Friday to the church. If you're part of this church, you may therefore have read it. You may not have, depending on whether you read the update or not. As soon as I read it, I looked and thought, Karen doesn't know what I'm preaching on, but wow, this sums it up so well. It's a quote from a man called J.I. Packer, who's a great theologian. It said this, Have you been holding back from a risky, costly course to which you know in your heart God has called you? Hold back no longer. Your God is faithful to you. And your God is adequate for you. You will never need more than he can supply. And what he supplies both materially and spiritually will always be enough for the present. What a powerful statement. I'm going to just read it again so it can sink in. Because this is the reality of lives lived for the gospel. Have you been holding back from a risky, costly course to which you know in your heart God has called you? Do you know God is speaking to you today? Then hold back no longer because your God is faithful to you and your God is adequate for you. You'll never need more than he can supply. And what he supplies both materially and spiritually will always be enough for the present. And that takes hold of one of the truths of the gospel and just makes it so abundantly clear. In other words, we can trust God in each and every circumstance of our life. For he is faithful and he is trustworthy and he is good and he will always act out of those things. The gospel brings freedom. Let's not be compromised by the world around us, which we want to say, oh, compromise this bit, compromise that bit. Instead, let's be full of the truth of the gospel. Let it let, let's let it transform us and make us too into a transforming people for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. We must press on. We have a second, off, uh, second offering to take up, and uh, time is uh, running tight. Um, this is the second Sunday of our gift week. If, you, um, if you're part of Harvest Church, you will have hopefully seen the video which we put out about what this gift, gift week's for. But just to sum it up very briefly, we're in, uh, uh, as a church, we are trying to do two things. We are trying to clear our mortgage on this building. The mortgage stands at roughly £530,000 at this moment in time, somewhere around there. And uh, we are praying, God, would you do a miracle amongst us and would you clear the mortgage by the end of next year? Really haven't got a clue how that's going to happen, uh, apart from through a miracle. Uh, but we know he, God uses us in those miracles. And um, so we want to clear our mortgage. We also uh, need to carry out uh, some further essential repairs to some maltings. Uh, just there are a number of uh, things in the building which need repairing, which are starting to become health and safety issues, recarpeting of various rooms, but also because we want to make this facility the best it can possibly be for the good of our town. Not just for us, but for the good of our town. I was